Just me today, making bailed. Somebody's got to bring home the bacon here. Welcome to Greenlight. It is Monday morning. This is a little bit different. I have to go to San Francisco to try to save the world this week, which I do sometimes. Uh, no, in all seriousness, we have a really good Water Boys opportunity out in San Fran, uh, meeting some new prospective donors. Excited about that. Water Boys is, of course, um, our clean water charity. You can check us out at waterboys.org. That is a shameless plug. These are the rules, though. I got my own pod, I can plug my own stuff. Unfortunately, Macon is not with us today. Just me and the bobbleheads. Uh, Macon has to sling real estate. Gotta feed the family. So, Macon's out, it's just me. Couple things this weekend. Finally saw the Joker movie. Um, and if you're gonna review a movie like the Joker movie, I don't even know if it's Joker or The Joker. Um, chances are you're gonna piss people off. And I'm gonna go ahead and piss a lot of people off and say the movie wasn't as good as I thought it was gonna be. I know that in film critique circles, the textbook response is that I don't get the movie. I get the movie. I didn't think it was as good as I thought it was gonna be. I thought Phoenix was better than the movie brilliantly acted. I mean, there were multiple points in the movie where my jaw dropped and I just looked at my wife and I'm like, is he really doing this? Um, I can get into a deeper dive, but I'll just say that the movie didn't do it for me. Uh, and that's okay. Whereas Heath Ledger was more the comic book villain and played that to perfection. Um, Phoenix played a very realistic villain in a scary way. Um, and the movie just didn't do his performance justice. The framing around it. So, I mean, like, listen, I've been waiting for that Joker on the step scene. Like it was one of the most famous sequences in, in movie history uh, for months now. And to see that they had paired it with a Jock Jams song. I had no idea. Kind of disappointing. Uh, again though, big Phoenix fan. Actually my favorite movie he did was The Master. So I can pull my film buff card. That's my flex. Really like The Master, like an inherent vice. Um, you were never really here. Like, it was one of those movies that I know it's good, but I don't know what the fuck to make of it. One of the more depressing movies I've ever seen. Um, and I know I'm forgetting one or two, but the guy's got a great, great uh, catalog. I do want to see her. I've never seen her. So I guess add this to my, uh, for a few of you, bad movie takes. I didn't think Joker was bad. I just thought it was disappointing and maybe a, a victim of the hype. 
I just didn't think it was well acted or co- coherent enough outside of um, Joaquin Phoenix. So, yeah, I mean, at some point this week, I'm going to try to watch the other guys. I have a long flight to San Francisco, as I mentioned. Maybe I'll watch the other guys, and I'll give you a full review later in the, in the week when I get back here and get back down to business with Macon. Um, but another thing this weekend that happened for me was I won a lot of bets. It was weird. I was really close to retiring last week before Seahawks plus six and Seattle San Francisco overhit. I was right on the edge. I was on the cusp. I never would have put the bet in after what happened to me last weekend had I not put it in before the weekend. So I was, I was married to it. It's amazing what two wins can do. This weekend, didn't lose a bet. Now, I had Steelers money line on Thursday, and that didn't go so well. That night didn't go well for a lot of reasons. I've, I've, I've dove into that, and I will produce some of the worst Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph, et cetera, takes. And I promise you, I will pull them up on Friday. There were a number of them, and they're evergreen because the suspension is ongoing. Um, also won a Cowboys-Bills teaser this weekend. By the way, teasers. I feel like I, I discovered, it's like the advent of the running QB for me in my gambling career. This is just game-changing stuff. I know there's a reason they call them teasers. I haven't figured that out yet because I haven't been bitten in the ass yet. But Cowboys-Bills teaser, San Francisco-New Orleans, uh, New Orleans over, Georgia State hoops. Shout out to uh, my boy Schwimmer with that monster hoops play. I don't bet hoops, but when I, I don't always bet hoops, but when I do, I'm very confident in it. And then, of course, uh, if you bet the Cardinals this weekend plus 10, you probably threw the remote through your TV. That was one of the worst beats I've seen all year. And it wasn't a beat. I mean, it was a, it was a push. But, you know, like 14 laterals later, and, uh, you know, you're just watching. You feel like you have that in hand if you're, you know, Cardinals, by the way, are up 16 nothing at one point. You feel like you have that bet in hand once, and then you feel like you have it in hand at the end there uh, when the Niners score a touchdown to force the push with no time remaining. So it was a good weekend for me, not to brag, full disclosure, I've been awful this fall, but these are, these are the growing pains that much like a rookie has them in the NFL, a rookie gambler has them in his post-football career. College football though, college football this weekend was interesting to say the least, a few storylines that came up for me. I watched the, I, the game I watched most of was probably that Minnesota game. And by the way, Iowa has become a team that no top 10 team wants to come and play there. I mean, like, I saw something where they have just been knocking them off at a really, really good click. And P.J. Fleck finally looks... I mean, the act finally wears out, out a little bit. You know, I know we're, we're stage diving into a crowd of players. I know we run out 
every time a player gets injured. Um, I understand that college football, I understand that college football and college football coaching, a lot of it is about creating a persona and you know, it's different than the NFL where coaches have personas in the NFL, but you almost have to have it in college for recruiting. You have to differentiate yourself as a personality, but I think there's a, a thin line. And when you start to hurt your team, which Fleck did as he ran out on the field prematurely when a dude wasn't even really hurt, um, got a 15 yard penalty, which by the way, a lot of people at the time thought that cost them the possession. I think they were down a touchdown. I think it was the third quarter, I'm not sure, but it actually didn't cost them the possession and nothing came of it per se because Iowa had to punt afterwards, but they could have had him backed up. You never know what happens when you back somebody up to the goal line and a head coach is the last person you want getting a penalty. And for him to invoke Eric Legrand after the game is like, well, I saw Eric Legrand get hurt. Like, bro, just, I get it, but just the penalty, like, Maybe do that less or wait a little longer. You know, OU Baylor, I watched a lot of that because I watched the entire Baylor um, TCU game the week before. And I actually was on Baylor getting 10 and a half at home. I mean, a top 10 team or a top 15 team getting that many points at home. It seemed like too obvious, but OU has historically had trouble down there. So I went with Baylor, and uh, I mean, that was a lock pretty early as they jumped out to a big lead. In fact, it was a 28-3 to lead, and I know all about that lead. 2016. Pats. Um, but college football is seeing a little trend here. Illinois-Michigan State, 28-3. Jalen Hurts storms back, of course, this weekend. Down in Waco, down 28-3. to And I think it was just a, a situation where Baylor ran out of gas. You know, you wondered if they would run out of gas at some point after that like triple overtime game against TCU in a rivalry. And it really took them right to the end to the tank hit empty. And, uh, and they end up with a loss. And we don't get to see Baylor force the committee's hand. I really wanted to see the chaos that would ensue if non-SEC teams start continuing to, to win. And they actually have to make a decision here. But it seems like we're headed for the usual suspects in the college football playoff. All I want to see, though, is LSU, Ohio State. That's it. That's all I want to see. Funny PJ Fleck uh, tweet that I did see this weekend. This is from Scary Alvarez. Minnesota may be number seven, but PJ Fleck is still the CarMax salesman hitting on your wife after he slammed half a bottle of cough syrup on his lunch break. Hashtag Badgers, hashtag Hawkeyes. Scary Alvarez, that was funny. I wanted to see some PJ Fleck takes and there's always some solid gold in a name search. Um, there was of course the Tua debacle as some people might call it. Um, Nick Saban, Nick Saban taking the brunt of that. I don't agree there. <laughs> Obviously, the background is that Tua, who was coming off an ankle injury, volleyed to play, um, or campaigned to play. I don't even know if that's the right fucking word. He campaigned to play. Uh, and there's a classic player-coach dynamic where at some point between the coach, the player, and the 
training staff. I mean, there's two schools of thought. Let the kid play until the medical staff says it's un unsafe, or when it's gray, the coach has to shut it down. Because players, most of them, are not gonna pull on the reins for themselves. I mean, like, it's in, it's, it's a player's human nature to wanna go out there and play hurt. Most of them. And I know some coaches are wounded by players, you know, protecting themselves first and maybe playing up cer certain injuries. You can't, you can't, you certainly can't trust every player's instinct because there are a number of guys that in my football career, collegiately or in the pros, milked injuries, cashed in, that sort of thing. But some, some players you give a little bit more leeway, you can trust them. And Saban trusted Tua. I know his family had campaigned for him to play in this game. And at the end of the day, it was an ankle. That's the difference. And Urban Meyer told an interesting story for what it's worth if you, if you uh, are into Urban Meyer stories. Um, he talked about when Tebow had a concussion ahead of a big game years back. And I think they were coming off a bye. And he was cleared to play, but Meyer didn't feel good about it and wanted to sit him. According to Urban, Tebow and his dad showed up to Meyer's door angrily. They were like, listen here, motherfucker. I don't think the Tebow's used that word, but they were after his ass and they were like, we need him to play. So half the thing that we're not ever, we're not focused on here is that a lot of times players campaign to play and put pressure on the coaches, and especially great players when they do it. One of the things I'm most thankful for is a few times in the situations when I, when I was IR'd in St. Louis, uh, I had that two year stretch of injuries there. Jeff Fisher protected me on one or two occasions. Now I still came back early because they eventually caved. I should have been IR'd for the year off ankle surgery, but I was on their ass like white on rice for weeks. Let me play, let me play. I'm talking about I couldn't walk during the week. You know, and I was like the tortoise will take care of it, the adrenaline will take care of it. And at the end of the day, when you've never missed a game in football, like some of these guys have, or you're not used to being injured, you don't know how it's gonna feel when you get out there. So I remember being up, running up to first class and sitting with Jeff and like actively campaigning for 30 minutes to let me play. And it was a Chargers game on the road. And he just shut me down. He said, dude, no, I'm taking this out of your hands. And sometimes with players, that's the only thing you can do. But this wasn't the right situation to do that. It was an ankle injury. Players play through ankle injuries all the time. Bama's in a situation where they have to win big. They have to continue to make their case of why they should be in the playoff. And it's not halftime yet. So a lot of people are angry about the injury, which was a freak injury. I mean, for his hip to dislocate and to fracture it in the same play, it's so rare in football. It's like lightning striking. And that's like lightning striking twice. I think would be the, the correct way to frame that. But it's unrelated to the ankle. They want to run their two-minute drill, which by the way, as you recount all the reasons why Nick Saban's great, it's because he's ready for any situation. No stone is unturned. And there's no, there's really no um, substitute for running your two-minute in a game at this point in the season, whether you're playing in college or pros. You know, player, players rep two-minute in training camp religiously 
and you can do it full speed because it's training camp, but that's too taxing at this point in the year to do that repeatedly and to get the look you want. So to do it in a game, that's a big leg up. So we wanted to keep Tua in. And by the way, Tua had asked to be in for one more series. We saw the video of that. Saban kept him in for the two minute drill. So you would, you would pump him up for that in a biopic. You'd say, well, I remember the one time he's, this guy, Nick Saban, he's never, he's never leaving anything to chance. Remember that time he, they practiced uh, two minute up three scores against Mississippi State. But he got hurt. This is what happens. And by the way, teams like Ohio State and Clemson, when they're up big, they generally keep their quarterback in through the first half. So I'm not into the second-guessing thing. Yes, I'm pro player. Yes, Tua should be um, compensated. Yes, he is never going to play another snap for Alabama and probably he's going to lose some money in the draft, and this sucks. He's one of the best kids in college football. Everybody loves him, but... I'm not into playing Monday morning quarterback on injuries. Like, listen, we'll get to the, the Houston-Baltimore game in the NFL, but as Deshaun Watson was in the game late, down like 35 points, I was saying to myself, now this is dumb. This game's loss. There's a, there's a, a fine line between having the player in too long and not. And I think in this situation, to his injury was just bad, bad luck. Now, what does it mean? Again, it means he's done at Alabama. He probably won't be back for his senior year. You know, he has the same injury as Bo Jackson, which ended Bo's career. But the difference is, as I talked to an NFL trainer this weekend, there's a ton more in treatment nowadays um, that's available to Tua from a rehab standpoint, the advancements and how we treat things. But mainly, He's able to get surgery on time. From what I understand with Bo, there were some complications. Um, so it's, it's an analogy that we sh certainly should be wary of, but I don't think it's gonna end this cat's career. It sounds like he could be back next year, and it probably is gonna drop him in the second round, but there's also a better chance that he ends up in a good situation. I'm not trying to be Mr. Brightside here. I hate the fact that he lost money. I wonder what the insurance policy situation is at Alabama. There's so many good players. How many policies can you do? And that'll come out. Maybe it's already come out. I had a, a, an insurance policy my, uh, my senior year. I think it was a $100,000 uh, insurance policy when I came back after my junior year. Hopefully that pays out okay. Uh, but again, if he drops the second round next year, and this hip heals completely and it doesn't derail his career. I don't think from a football standpoint, it's the worst thing in the world if he ends up in a better situation than a Washington. And we'll talk about the team in Washington in a bit. But uh, here's what I wanna see. I just wanna see Ohio State and LSU in the championship. However you can make that happen, put them on opposite sides and let's do this thing. Chase Young's back this week and they're gonna play Penn State. Let's just make that matchup happen. Don't screw it up, Ohio State. I never thought I'd say this, but you're, you're our only hope. In the NFL, um, you know, last night's game made a lot of headlines. I don't think this game was even about the, the result for anybody. Um, it was mostly about two coaches who were under so much pressure, you felt like they could explode looking at it. So... I mean, obviously, LA is in a situation where their offense has imploded. Again, we talked about it this past week. 
Um, Sunday was a one-year anniversary to the 54-51 game that they beat the Chiefs in one of the craziest games I've seen in the NFL. Over 100 yards of offense, or 100 points in offense. Um, you know, exciting plays. The whole nine yards. And then you get a half that's nearly scoreless between the Bears and the Rams. Now, coming into this game, I thought the Bears would probably keep it pretty close. And they did. They're the team that gave the blueprint right off the bat on how to limit the Rams offense, if you remember, I think it was last year where they were rolling um, and they went to Chicago on a Sunday night and really struggled. But part of that is golf doesn't play well in cold weather. He also doesn't play well when he's pressured. And for that reason, he threw seven passes the first 40 minutes of the game. You know, you've got your big money dude. You're not using him. You have your big money running back who's still really productive when he touches the ball. And you've got to force him to rock a little bit. Gurley had almost 100 yards, most of it out of 12 personnel, interestingly enough. But the flip side of the coin, well, the most important part when it comes to the, uh, to the Rams is you're trending towards starting next year, however this, this year ends, with what's going down on down in Arizona and to the north of them with those two teams, about a year since they've been in the Super Bowl, they're going to be opening up. Um, they're going to be opening up next year's offseason, probably slated to be the fourth best team in the division. Now, I'm not being overreactive. That just kind of is what it is at this point. They did get some positive trending action on the right side of their line with those young guys. Um, I'm sure McVay's going to figure some things out, but. This is a defensive football team right now with a high-paid quarterback. And again, defensive football teams are okay, but not when they're built like this. You have to be built intentionally to be a defensive football team. And offensively, you have to be able to control the football, keep your quarterback clean, and he can't be a nearly $150 million man. So... Defense doesn't sell tickets, trying to move into that brand new shiny stadium. Um, keeping the attention of LA fans is like, you know, trying to keep your three-year-old interested in something. Um, so offense is going to do that, shiny objects. Defense, not so much. And they're doing the defense thing pretty well right now. But the big story in that game was Trubisky and Nagy. And the bottom line is that Matt Nagy has failed Trubisky this year. Now, Trubisky hasn't done a good enough job. I worry about his ability to get off, up off the mat here mentally, whatever happens the rest of the way. Um, you've got people labeling him a bust, and maybe rightfully so looking at his performance this year. There's a lot of expectations when you're drafted high. Um, again, I certainly went through it. I wasn't a quarterback. I, I could have, I have no idea what's that, what that's like, but it's hard when you're drafted high and things aren't going well around you and you might start slow. But this is a regression. That's the problem. He gave us something last year and he's regressed. And so I look at the coach. 
I look at the coach and I wonder if he's put him in the best position to succeed and built around him correctly. Not to compare Trubisky to Lamar, but in Baltimore, they have built around Lamar Jackson to perfection. They have not done that in Chicago. And again, that is not to compare the two players, but when you burn the ships and you do that Mac trade and you're talking about winning now, you have to build around Trubisky. You have to play to his strengths. They haven't done that, that this year. And if he truly did get benched last night in the fourth quarter with that intimate conversation that happened on national TV in primetime, Trubisky, Nagy just killed him. Nagy just killed his confidence and buried the kid. That's not, if that's what happened, and I hate speculating, that's why I'm gonna put an if. I mean, they said it was a hip. My instincts would tell me that I don't believe that. It's worse than the option they ran last night. It is a hundred times worse. And you've got a guy here that you can't really get rid of right now. All you can do is fix him or develop him and you set him back pretty far if what you just did is benched him in front of the entire country. Well, I don't wanna say the entire country because the entire country is not sticking around to watch that game on a Sunday night, but you've crushed the kid. And that conversation, if that's what it was, can happen a lot quicker and you have to be a lot more cognizant of how many cameras are around because you made the kid a meme. And by the way, I'm certainly here for the Jon Snow, Daenerys embrace before he murked her. Uh, the Fredo uh, embrace meme, I've seen them both. People are having fun with it. But at the end of the day, what you're seeing here is that being an NFL player, although you're pay paid a lot of money, it's a hard gig because this kid has poured his heart and soul into this thing. He's not been good enough. No one can que question his work ethic or commitment, but he's not getting the job done. And, uh, and your failures are broadcasted in front of the world. And you basically got demoted in front of the world. And that's rough. And that's on Nagy in one, making a questionable decision there if that's the case, and two, in doing it when and where he did it. Have to think a little bit more about that. Now it could be his hip. I know I just did the whole segment assuming it's not, but it just doesn't make sense. No one saw him fall on it. Um, the other players on the team didn't know about it. And that certainly didn't look like a conversation that somebody was just telling somebody we're shutting you down for the night because of your hip. It did not. So, don't piss on my leg, tell me it's rain. You ever heard that one? It's one I like to use. Baltimore, Houston. Ravens, six straight. Uh, I'm running out of Lamar takes. Everybody's finding a new one every week. There's a thousand ways to say I love Lamar and we're doing it repeatedly every Monday morning. That and digging up uh, bad takes 
you know, the few people with blue check marks that said that Lamar can never be a quarterback or didn't deserve a shot at it are getting skewered every Monday morning. I'm not doing it. I'm moving forward. I'm excited for the kid. He's very likable. I mean, this kid just does everything right. He says all the right things. A lot of respect for Deshaun Watson on the field in postgame. The Heisman 1-2 and two rematch. And they both, I mean, Lamar started slow. Watson was hitting, Watson was hitting Hopkins repeatedly the first few drives, moving the, moving the chains. It looked like it was going to be that game that it was billed to be uh, for a few minutes. And then Lamar got hot. Watson got a little bit colder. And they couldn't protect. And Watson wasn't processing things quick enough. I mean, he got sacked six times, but a lot of those were not on the offensive line. And when I looked up his snap to throw, it, it was pretty much average for the year, 2.8. So what that means is on some of those sacks, he had some really long shot clock outliers. Um, so Houston, not really... Not really feeling good about the prospect of having to beat Baltimore again if they're serious about being contenders. I think I'm going to trust my eyes here and say that I don't think they can beat them. I know that some things might go different if and when the next time you see them would be, but once Lamar got hot, that one drive, he hit like every white guy eligible to catch a pass in the NFL. Um, I mean, gosh, he's got like six tight ends. They all look like blocking tight ends. He's throwing the ball like fullbacks. It's really, it's remarkable. Um, and the matchup problems they create, they get into 13 personnel. Do you get big? Do you stay in like nickel? What do you do? Because all these guys can block and catch the football. And of course, the Greg Roman effect is huge. Uh, again, seven time in two years that Deshaun Watson is sacked six times a game. And I thought we were past this. I do think we are for the most part. But again, shot clock a little bit too long for him. Judon had a big game for Baltimore. I've always really liked him. He hasn't had eye-popping sack numbers, but really good football player. He had a few yesterday. Um, and of course, you know, there's the Baltimore defense. As we mentioned, Judon, They've been outstanding since the Peters trade. Here's, here's who they played since they acquired Peters in, in the type of trade I like now, this mid-round value trade for a veteran that can make a difference. And by the way, he's made a difference. They played Wilson, Brady, and Watson. And since the, since the trade, they've produced the highest pressure rate and the second lowest passer rating <coughs> on defense. So that's a game-changing trade. You thought maybe their defense was a weak link. It's certainly not right now. The performance yesterday, loud and clear. That puts them into the one spot on my power rankings as I look at it. To round that out, I would say I'm going to go Saints second. <clears throat> I'll go Niners third, Pats fourth. And I'll go Green Bay fifth. Even though I've doubted Green Bay, um, they have Aaron Rodgers. That's my whole motivation for putting them in the top five. 
They have a big showdown against San Francisco coming up. Um, I left Seattle out because I think they're prone to self-destruction. In their biggest games this year, even wins, they've survived giving up defensive special teams touchdowns. You know, their leading rusher who makes a big difference in the game for them completes that offense, Chris Carson. He has a habit of putting the ball on the ground. So that's why right now they're outside of my top five. Um, although they're a really good football team, they're dangerous if they put it all together. The Saints, to me, you know, they've got two really questionable losses. One of them you can write off because of the Breeze injury. They also lost. Um, they also lost to Atlanta, which was bad, but again, it was hate week, and they rebounded nicely yesterday. I put the Niners at three, bouncing around here. Niners at three because their run game has dried up a bit. But on the other hand, Jimmy G has shown that he can win you games. Two out of the last three games, he's played really well. Uh, of course, they came against the same team, so need a bigger sample size. But when you, ha when you have quotes like the one McGlinchey produced yesterday, and I'll pull this up. You feel confident in your quarterback. He basically said, where is this thing? I got to scroll through all my winning bets that I screenshotted as keepsakes. I put them on the fridge. Yeah, I put them on the fridge to, to show my wife that I'm actually being productive as a member of the family. But McGlinchey basically said that when you, uh, when you look into Jimmy G's eyes, that last drive, when you need him to step up, and you see that fire, that confidence, it empowers you and you want to run through a wall. Now, you know, everybody says Jimmy G's our guy. That's who we're going with. We're excited about him. He played well. But when an O-lineman goes out on a limb and seems to unsolicited give an endorsement, a ringing endorsement of Jimmy G's intangibles and the way he's leading this team, that's really good. That's a good sign for them. That was a big win. Um, so that's why I have them three, not higher because they've kind of come down to earth a little bit. I understand that Niners fans feel like they probably are the best team in the NFL in three decades. But you're third, bro. Now I put Baltimore first because of how they played lately. I mean, yesterday was one of the most impressive wins I've seen in the NFL all season. The Pats win was really impressive. And their two losses, one of them was bad, one of them wasn't as bad, five-point loss at Kansas City. To lose to two, by two touchdowns to Cleveland is really bad, even with Cleveland's recent ascension. I would, I would just say there's been enough distance between now and then that I feel good about putting Baltimore in the one spot and this is a team that a couple weeks ago wouldn't have been in my top five, but it's what have you done for me lately? Who can make a run? And as you look at their schedule, they have a real shot at making a run at home field advantage here, which would solidify bad matchup part two <coughs> for New England. Now, one team that, by the way, if you're watching this, 
on YouTube and not listening. Excuse my house slippers. I'm pretty tired. And this is a casual show. So excuse me for that. Captain Kirk, comeback Kirk. That's a team in the Vikings that might be knocking on the door here when it comes to entering that top five discussion. Of course, they have a big showdown with Seattle here soon in a couple weeks. And although Kirk has kind of let, you know, lit the, uh, the league on fire the last seven weeks since he hit rock bottom against uh, the Bears, he's going to have to win a game like that. He's going to have to go to Seattle, play well, win a game there. I think for some people, until he wins a Super Bowl, he can't shed <clears throat> that reputation he has. I mean, it's funny. Yesterday, I gave him some love on, on um, Twitter. And yeah, I'm in his corner. I've been, I've been pulling for him. I've said he's going to have a really good year. So part of, it wants to, part of me wants to justify that. You know, when he was bad, he was bad. I mean, in the Chicago game, he was awful. And I've said before, I think that when you look at somebody who the knock on him from other players and people around the league is that he's a perfectionist. He tries to do everything right, and it, he can be a bit robotic. Um, he processes things like in too much of an analytical way, which as a football player, there's a fine line, and I'm sure there is as a quarterback. But if you think too much, you're not really playing. And that was the rep. So I think for him, hitting rock bottom against the Bears, not the worst thing, because I don't know if he got online, read his mentions. He obviously heard what Thielen had to say. There was the Diggs drama. He's turned it around since then. I think sometimes you have to realize that you're far from perfect. Some people already think you're a bum no matter what you do. So why do you care? Go out there and sling it. Relax. You've got one of the best rosters in football around you although the defense hadn't played as well lately, certainly not yesterday. But they're down 20 at halftime. And teams that are down 20 at the half, of course yesterday against Denver, are 0-99 the past five years, I think it is. So they were set to be number 100. But they caught fire, defense tightened up a little bit. First half, digs, zero targets. Really curious, and that changed in the second half. Five for uh, 121. But Cousins conti continues to thrive moving in the pocket. He made some of his biggest plays that way yesterday. A big play that might get lost in the shuffle um, is Trey Wayne's great play on third down on the reverse. Two-score game with 11 minutes to go. They get that first down where you don't get a stop there. This game's going to look a lot different. Brandon Allen, he shined down the stretch. You know, I got to say, that last drive converted like three fourth downs. He had three shots at the end zone to win it, but what a game. Um, you know, again, the Broncos, who I thought, even on the road, that line was curiously high after uh, a Minnesota big, big win in Dallas. But they played them tough. You know, they got out to a big lead. And for the Broncos, this is more of the same. They blew their fourth, fourth quarter league lead of the year. So, Minnesota, 6-1, three-point loss at Arrowhead since that, Chicago, uh, since that Chicago disaster is what I'll call it. 
They're headed into the bye, and if Kirk can go to Seattle again and dethrone the MVP in two weeks, look out. It's a really good team. Uh, and they'll go as far as Kirk will take them. You know, there's been some regression in some areas defensively for them. But again, if Dalvin Cook's healthy and Kirk can turn the ball over, they're pretty good. And you do all this without Thielen, they have a chance to win the division. Got to beat Seattle because it's not like Green Bay, other than San Francisco, has a whole lot of tough games. They're a leg up right now. And it's really trending towards a showdown in December in Minnesota, Green Bay, Minnesota. That might, I mean, and no, no might about it. It's going to decide the division, especially if Seattle uh, loses to Minnesota, which I think very few people will think is going to happen coming out of the bye. Pat's Eagles. Pat's Eagles was an interesting game for me to watch because obviously I played for both teams. Um, and both teams have come a long way and not in a positive way in some areas since that Super Bowl two years ago. That Super Bowl, the Pats put up, and we'll start with the Pats before we get to the headline, which is Wentz, the Eagles, the offense, because we have to make it about somebody. Um, By the way, Brady didn't play a great game yesterday. Set up a record for incompletions in a half for him. And the Eagles secondary hasn't been exactly the Legion of Boom. So, you know, I think the outcome and what you take away from this thing is dependent on what you think of the Patriots. I'll get to that in a minute. But the Pats have fallen pretty far offensively since that Super Bowl. I mean, I'm, I know I'm Captain Obvious here, but if you really frame it this way, they put up 600-plus yards on us in that Super Bowl against a top-five defense. We were a top-five defense. And I know that the Eagles in some categories are top 10 this year. I don't think of them as a top 10 defense. The defense is not as good as the, the group we had in uh, 17. And the difference is that Pats went for 600 on us two years ago, and they struggled to move the ball yesterday. And Brady, you know, who, who's the GOAT, and certainly I don't think, I'm not doing the, hey, you know, He's fallen off or it's over because people have been doing that every Monday for years now. But he struggled throwing the ball outside the hashes. Uh, And actually, for the first time in his career, somebody else on his own team had more touchdowns than him and he played a full game. And that was Julian Edelman, touchdown passes. So, Patriots offense can't get the run game going, lose Gronk, offensive line troubles. Uh, Certainly, Valid, valid context for Brady not playing as well. Now, get your pitchforks out because I'm going to say that there's plenty of valid context for Carson Wentz not playing well against. And I haven't turned on the TV today, but we agreed for half the season that the Patriots defense is the best of all time, right? DVOA, right? DVOA says that the Pats and the Niners are the two best defenses in like the history of the game. How could DVOA get it so wrong? Not to anger the analytics crowd. I don't think that's true of either team, but if you are anti-Wentz this morning and you're popping on the TV and you're saying this is the game 
that I'm going to sink Carson Wentz off of. I think, I just think it's weird. He's, he's playing the team that for weeks now, members of the media have said has a historically good defense. And Carson didn't play perfect. He had some bad throws. He had four straight incompletions on that final drive, including one that Nelly Nelson Aguilar took a lot of flack for. I think that would have been a ridiculously hard catch. I think more with Nelly, it's at this point the history of the drops and the pattern of football behavior. And by that, I mean, you know, not tracking the ball well in the Dallas game, you know, the drop in, in Detroit, Atlanta. And I think that, you know, Philly has turned on Nelly a little bit, the fan base. So whatever happened there, it would have been a spectacular catch. And it was a really good throw. But the throws before that weren't, weren't great. And 10 points is not enough. You know, you have 95 yards on one drive. It was one of the best drives on that Patriots defense. It was the best all year. It was one of the best in a few years on the Patriots. And the rest of the game, you kind of, you go for about 150 yards. But as I mentioned, the context surrounding Brady earlier, which included the wind if you're Tony Romo, every time Brady completed a pass, it was very windy. Then when Carson missed, it was Carson was missing. Um, the Eagles are without their, their starting linebacker. They're without both tackles. They're every down running back. And they have two stud wide receivers out. Not to mention their deep threat, which is what the Eagles have lacked all year long. And I think what we struggle from is a little bit of recency bias. We look at this team, and it's only been two years since 17. This is not the same team. Offensively especially. Um, the offense got slower. Everybody's been on that. Greg Cosell has talked about it at length. I see him on Thursdays when I go to Amazon, and when we talk about the Eagles, that was his main takeaway, was that the offense is slower. Guys aren't getting as much separation. Sure, Carson could play better. No doubt about it. He was pressured on 22 of 48 uh, passes yesterday. That's not good enough, but I always say with Carson, if you hold on to the ball too long, you're going to get pressured. So I don't know if that, that stat takes that into account. He needs to get rid of the ball quicker, sure. There's a couple throws he made that were poor throws. I had people saying, well, he almost threw an interception on the last drive. Well, Brady almost threw a pick in the end zone to Rodney McLeod. He's done that a few times this year. And Tom's the GOAT. I still put him up there as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So really good quarterbacks do that too. Um, Wentz's number one receiver yesterday was Jordan Matthews. And that's no disrespect to a guy I really like. But that guy was on the street two weeks ago. And you've got Alshon, Deshaun out. Again, you, you don't have the guy to take the top off defense, your best possession guys out. You can't just continue to force the ball to tight ends. And... That, at times, was kind of his only option. Um, and at the end, when things mattered, Gilmore is right there on Ertz. And again, the wind mattered when Brady threw a bad ball. It did not matter when Carson threw a bad ball. Again, playing the best defense of all time, or are you not? Make up your mind. Because if you are, then today, picking this game as to why Carson Wentz is not the answer, which is ridiculous, he could be better. But franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees. Didn't play a great game. 
Also outplayed Brady in Buffalo, common opponent-wise. Not saying he's better for you Pats fans who are going to jump down my shit on this. I'm just saying that the Wentz pylon, I think, is for people that want to oversimplify things and aren't looking at the fact that this offense has gotten a lot slower. You were down your best, your two tackles. You were, about, you were down Jordan Howard. You're down your two receivers. That stuff matters. It matters for anybody else. It matters for Wentz. Now, if Wentz goes out and plays bad the rest of the year, have the conversation. But yesterday, not playing great. Kind of a tough one to, uh, to call. On the Pat side, the red zone was bad. Um, that, again, continues to be a Gronk and a fullback thing, in my opinion. Um, you lose Gronk, puts a lot pre- more pressure on everybody else, including Edelman, which is one of his favorite targets. I mean, you've got Benjamin Watson getting buckets for him right now. And Ben is somebody I respect greatly, but he's not Gronk. Um, and again, I mentioned things have fallen off for both teams since the Super Bowl offensively. I would go as far as saying that it fell off a little bit more for the Pats. And that's the big worry for them going down the road here. Um, the coaching, though, shined through for the Pats. The halftime adjustments, I was really worried, especially about the adjustments uh, the Pats offense would have against Schwartz. You know, Jim knows Bill well. Called a really good game in the first half especially, but coming out of the half, I mean, you get the screen to Burkhead right off the bat. You get the Edelman third and 11 trick play, which Romo called. By the way, I really do enjoy hearing Romo call games. I just didn't agree with the, the win thing. Um, the third and 11, he, he mentioned, it's the only way that you get production in the red zone, the way the Pats are playing right now. And they had the exact right call. Jules is like five for six on his career for like 120 and a couple touchdowns. But again, the offense, the lack of production, I mean, what's worse yesterday? You have the way we frame this thing. The Eagles defense has been framed, rightfully so at times, as a liability on the back end. Due to injuries, due to young players, and Brady struggles against that group. And then Wentz struggles against the boogeyman and the best defense of all time, according to some of y'all. So, it's just very lopsided in what we're talking about. I think the problems with, with the Eagles are a lot more than just Carson Wentz. I've said that all year. Offense got slow. You miss Frank Reich. You miss Filippo. I don't think the group's been the same since. That was a great dynamic. And uh, Romo, great, great, great caller of the game. I had somebody complaining about him on my timeline yesterday. I'm like, just trust me. He's one of the few guys telling you the right stuff as a fan. He's been great. Sproles, they IR'd him. You know, and I want to I want to close the Eagles discussion out with this. This is a guy that was an absolute pleasure to play with. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if this is really it for him. He's somebody who's had a borderline Hall of Fame career because of his niche is is so unique as a returner, as a weapon in the pass game, as somebody who can get you yards on the ground. He's somebody that I was always a huge fan of, admired. I used to joke with him that in college I was K-State all the time in NCAA football. I just put him out of wide receiver and throw go routes. People never had an answer. Used to love that team on NCAA. L. Roberson, the big Mike linebacker, 
Darren Sproles. And to get to play with him down the line in my career was one of my greatest joys as, you know, as far as like, hey, I get to play with, you know, I got to play with Tom Brady. I got to play with Aaron Donald. got to play with Gronk, Fletcher Cox, guys like that. A whole host of great teammates and people that I was excited to take the field with. But Darren Sproles, one of the most special people that I play with. And he's one of the most humble, hardworking dudes. He would finish every run in practice. You know, you hear about guys that run through the end zone. He would, he would bust his ass in the weight room. He was always in early, there late. He was a pro, he was a lifer, and, uh, and he has a ring. I know that it doesn't feel great for him because he wasn't on the field for the Super Bowl, but he shouldn't hang his head at all about the career he had. He is truly one of the most remarkable players and people that I've had an opportunity to play with. If this is the end, I respect him for getting up off the mat after that terrible injury he had Super Bowl year, after having to watch it and saying, I'm going to give it one or two more goes. He's a better man than me, uh, and he's got a lot of willpower. He's had a wonderful career. So if this is the end, congrats on that career. Uh, Somebody who could certainly be sour about possibly the handling of his injury or whatever. He's there on the sideline supporting his teammates yesterday, and I can't say enough good stuff about him. Falcons. Falcons are good again. <laughs> what is going on with the Falcons? Dan Quinn reshuffled the coaching staff. Evidently, he literally picked names out of a hat to coach different positions. And when you look at the Falcons on that terrible losing streak they had, a team with so much promise and a quarterback that, you know, for how well he's played, there's not a bigger deficit this far, thus far in the league this year when it comes to the performance of a quarterback and a, and a team than Matt Ryan and the Falcons. Since Dan Quinn got there, and of course he's famous from his years in Seattle, um, defense has not been their calling card. And, you know, you, when, when he was in Seattle, that was a team that was very undisciplined, had a lot of penalties, and that played into their persona too, and they had the players to overcome it, but you wondered if the discipline would be better in Atlanta, it hasn't. The defense has not been a strong suit of theirs um, his entire time there. So when you're a defensive head coach and you can't hang your hat on the defense, you think your days are numbered, right? Well, the thing about Dan Quinn is, players love him, and I visited the Falcons before I went to the Pats, and ironically, it came down to the Falcons and the Pats for me, so I'm a pretty good predictor of future successes. But had it not been for a scheme disagreement, I would have ended up in Atlanta. I really love Dan Quinn. Um, I have a lot of respect for him. Classy guy, the guy that gets his players to play hard, as evidenced by the recent turnaround. You know, since they were down big to Seattle a couple weeks ago with Matt Schaub at the helm, They've really crushed it. They've allowed 15 points and zero touchdowns the past 10 quarters. And since the bye, um, they haven't allowed a touchdown. Four interceptions, 2-0 and on the road against winning teams. Um, and again, picked the names out of the hats, reshuffled the coaching responsibilities. Raheem Morris to the defensive backfield, and he shares half the play calling duties. Dan Quinn said, okay, I'm not calling plays anymore. And they've been really good. Of course, Morris was a head coach in Tampa. 
and a really good coach. So really unconventional the way they just kind of said, hey guys, we're, we're gonna pick, we're gonna draw straws here. Um, you know, kudos to them. Kudos to the players continue to play hard. I think Dan has a shot at saving his job. I didn't think he did before, but if they play with this competence and passion the rest of the year, and he agrees to hand over the keys to somebody else from a defensive play calling standpoint, offense has never really been the problem there. I think he's got a shot. Now, onto a much more dysfunctional situation uh, for a team that has a similar record, but feels like it's a world away the team in Washington. How bad is it? I think it might be worse than my Knicks. I mean, I, I can't think of a, an organization that has betrayed the trust of such a loyal fan base for so long. I mean, they have taken them for granted. They feel like a group that kind of goes through the motions. I'm not talking about the players, I'm talking about the front office because organizations are designed to succeed or fail. And you get what you design. And they have designed an organization that's perpetually irrelevant and dysfunctional. And Allen and Snyder are totally culpable. And again, I put them up there with the Knicks and some other franchises that are absolute shit shows. They're on the Mount Rushmore of shit show franchises in sports. Um, how bad is it? Check this video out. Now this illustrates my point. There's a lot of people in the stands there for a team that's so incompetent right now. And I know they're not excited about Haskins. I, I, He's not giving you a ton to be excited about. Um, but these are loyal fans. And I, speaking of visits, uh, that this is the only year I was really, I really hit the market. I mentioned going to Atlanta. Obviously ended up in New England that year. Um, also went to Washington. Two hour drive from my home, hometown. And um, hop up 29 North and go up there. And I visited, Gruden was the coach. Um, met with a number of people, but it just didn't feel like it was a very organized operation. It just felt like they were kind of like, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you. What else do we need to do? Like, do we need to do a physical? Like, should we watch your tape? Should we like talk about this? It was like, how's it gonna work with like me and Kerrigan and like blah, 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 and, and uh, Preston Smith and like, they're like, yeah, we'll figure it out. You know, so, you get the sense in being up there, and I was also, by the way, on my visit, I was like, well, if it's cool, guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut out a little bit early, because I wanna drive home, like, I wanna see my son, hadn't seen him in a couple of days. They weren't like, hey, you gotta stick around and, and, and talk to this coach, this coach, that coach, it was like, in and out. And, um, you know, visiting other, other teams, it's a way different, experience and uh i just i just think that they are either intentionally or unintentionally because they're not competent betraying the trust of one of the most loyal fan base in the league washington fans they don't give up and i don't think they will 
but I think we are approaching that, that crossroads here. And of course you have the Haskins outburst as people are calling it. Let's, well, it's not outburst. Some people are calling it leadership. I'll tell you what I think in a second. Check this out. So if you're listening, that's a video of Haskins with his offensive line gathered around him at some late stage in the game and he is essentially pleading with them and asking them how can he help them. And now on the surface, there's a few ways you can look at this and I think, first off, my sources close to the situation say that he was absolutely right, he was asking for help. Um, he was asking for ways that, that he can make things easier. Um, I mean, there were some communication issues and whatnot. I don't think he was trying to come from a place of being disrespectful. I also think that if you're somebody that's watching that video and you're like, oh, the O-line, look at them, they don't even care. Because if you can't see the video, most of them are kind of blank stare. One of them, number 66, is kind of chuckling a little bit. This is the NFL. The NFL is very social. NFL has a very social dynamic and there are like kind of things you do and don't do. And I think his intentions are really good. But I think the very reason you don't do that on the field is that it could be misconstrued in the way that it's been misconstrued. Um, I think the perfect time to do that is after the game. I know that you're trying to win a football game, but I think what the kid's not thinking about is there's cameras everywhere and now he's put and it's not his fault, but what's happened here is that you've got a bunch of O-linemen who I, I have no reason to think they don't care. I've been on bad football teams, and these vets, they care a lot. Um, but I think what, what the look you're getting for most of them is like, bro, what do you want us to do? Like, again, this is, a, this is a situation that's very dysfunctional. We're all doing our best here. And by the way, you're not playing great. Um, maybe we can just have this conversation off the field. Now, I don't know what was going on with him in 66. I think 66 got beat for a sack. So he's probably feeling a little bit wounded and maybe he's feeling like maybe this isn't the time to take him to task, especially from a rookie who's not playing great. But you can tell he's got, he's got some sort of it. He's got some stones standing up in a group of veteran O-linemen when shit has officially hit the fan and trying to take the reins. I would just say there's a reason you try to do that off the field. Um, you know, now of course people are gonna say everybody loves it when Tom Brady does it. No, not everybody loves it. Some people are like, yo, stop yelling at people. Um, and these are two totally different situations than him throwing a tantrum or slamming his iPad or the kid's trying to lead. The kid just doesn't get the fact yet that these guys are doing the very best they can. And I think the lesson you learn here is that some of these conversations, although very hard conversations, can happen off the field. And they can happen a little bit less dramatically. Um, because it could be misconstrued. 
it could be misconstrued like the kid is disliked by his teammates, which I'm hearing is not the case. It could be misconstrued that the O-linemen don't give a shit, which is not the case. Um, I think they're just saying, dude, help you. Like, we can barely help ourselves right now. This is a shit show. Like, when you're on a bad football team like that, and I've been on dysfunctional bad football teams, you feel like the kids, you feel like a bunch of kids that are like home alone and nobody knows how to work, you know, the, the AC, you know, nobody knows the code for the alarm system, the alarm's going off. Um, I don't know if that's the right analogy, but it's like a bunch of kids that are home alone. You need like the parents to step in. The parents aren't the rookie quarterback. The parents aren't the O-lineman. There's only so much that players can do to right that ship. This is a fucked up situation. And although I like Dwayne's initiative, I just think maybe you have that conversation less center stage. So, uh, you know, there's the cap thing. Everybody knows about it. Again, got a little bit of cover from that Miles Garrett incident, but it still became a huge story Saturday. Of course, because of the moving of the workout an hour south uh, from Flowery Branch to a high school. Uh, and the backdrop to this in entire conversation, I think what's really important, no matter what you think about this, this the tactical decision-making of Cap or the NFL's PR nightmare that continues, um, is that Cap should be in the league. He's jumping through hoops right now that he never should have to be jumping through anyway. So to criticize him for tactics that you disagree with, that's, that's reasonable depending on how you frame them. Don't be ridiculous. Um, don't forget the context here, which is that he's plenty good to be in the NFL. Uh, he had one really bad year. It's probably not even the year most of you mouth breathers are thinking about. It's funny, I called somebody a mouth breather on Twitter the other day. He's like, oh, everybody breathes through their mouth, dude. The only time I just breathe through my mouth is when I'm congested, like this morning. But I don't do that as an everyday thing, like some of you. And Caps last year wasn't as bad as you think it was. I played him that year. He was competent. He was a bottom half quarterback in the NFL on a bad team with nothing around him. 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, again, on a team that was rudderless. And the year before that, yes, he was very bad. Now, had his last year been the year before his last, I think you have a point here that, you know, the regression continued. If, if that, I think it was 15, if 15 had repeated itself in 16, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get a job again, but he had the one bad year sandwiched in between, essentially, the Super Bowl run and 16, where he was in a bad spot. So, <clears throat> the Super Bowl run, I know a lot of you would say, uh, it was a defensive football team. Think about all the Hall of Famers on defense there. Yeah, they had a good defense, but look at the playoff run. Look at the Green Bay game. Even look at the Super Bowl. What were the scores of that game? Everybody knows Cap took the league by storm offensively that year, and he had a lot of weapons around him. But to say that that was a defensive football team, like I've seen somebody with that take, 
seen a few people with that take, you're wrong. They weren't the 2000 Ravens. For whatever reason, they did not keep the points down in the postseason. Cap kept them in a lot of games. Again, if your defense of uh, you know Cap not being a league is that the Super Bowl team was, was a defensive team, that's dumb as hell. If you wanna bring up his really bad year, I would say, well, he rebounded in 16. If you don't like his 16 year, you might say that he was a bottom half quarterback or even a bottom third quarterback. And to that I would say, gee, all the bottom third quarterbacks in the league right now have jobs. Because to be a bottom third quarterback, you have to be in the NFL. He's good enough to be a backup at the very least. I think he might even help some teams. I mean, you look at some of these quarterbacks. I'm gonna look up this quote here that I pulled from, uh, from scouts at the game. Scouting report from evaluators following Colin Kaepernick's workout yesterday. I apologize to whoever I screenshotted this tweet from. I'm certainly not biting you. It's not like I think anybody watches or listens to this pod. There were 60 scripted throws, no runs, no agility work. He was in good shape as we thought he'd be. Arm strength was definitely still there and he had some real zip on the ball, but he had some accuracy issues on his deep throws, good enough to be on a roster, likely backup level. Okay, that's one guy I think should be in the league. He was in good shape and he has a fastball. The velocity was real good. Accuracy and touch were inconsistent. On deep balls, he was ordinary. He can still run well, essentially average overall. Good velocity, accuracy, and touch were average. Good showing, thought he looked like he did when he was last on the field. And when he was last on the field, these are NFL scouts and executives. He was again, a competent starting quarterback in the NFL. And in a year like this year of all years, when you have so much turnover at quarterback, so many bad teams, this is the time that we should be talking about cap making a return. And evidently there was enough interest from teams that were afraid possibly to poke the bear in the second collusion case, just in case they didn't sign him. They didn't want him in the building, maybe because 10,000 reporters would descend upon their facilities. They pressured the league to get this a solution which makes me believe, and some people have alluded to that being evidence that there is collusion, because if you have to go through the league to get this done, uh, there is some level of coordination. Now the league set up this sloppy ass workout, we all know about it by now. Um, you know, we know about the Tuesday versus Saturday thing, we know about the short notice, we know about the waiver, we know about the, the media issue. But what happened is that it was like a game of chicken and eventually Cap moved the workout because of the media and the waiver issue largely and not being able to throw to the receivers he wants to throw to. So if you're the NFL and you want to fix your image, don't you think you maybe make some concessions in a situation that you totally created? Isn't that the point? That however we frame what happened this weekend, it's really irrelevant. If Cap made tactical missteps or you disagree with his tactics in moving the, uh, the workout or calling out the owners, which I'll get to in a second, don't you think this should never have happened? It'd be like cheating on your spouse, and then when you guys try to get back together like a year later, your spouse has some issues that need to be addressed, and they yell. And so it's the spouse's fault, not your fault for starting this whole 
big ass issue. Um, maybe it's not a clean analogy, but I, I actually think it's pretty clean. I like you created this whole mess. So now what you've done, and people have said it was a PR stunt by the NFL, and I would counter that by saying it's. I, I talked about this. The NFL has a black belt in, in shitty PR. That's the highest level of karate, as far as I know, right? There's no better belt than a black belt. There's no like, I heard brown belt's good, but it's not black, right? Black belt is the apex of karate. And the NFL is the apex of shitty PR. So the NFL has a black belt in bad PR because you just had your best slate of games last Sunday. You've got big matchups coming up this Sunday. They got saved by the Miles Garrett incident. That's the only reason they, they didn't dominate the news cycle this weekend. But they did this disaster of a PR move. There's no way it's intentional. Unless they're actually throwing the PR thing so bad that you, that you, would, that you would have this take that it's not on purpose. And they're giving themselves cover because it's so sloppy that you're like, there's no way they'd be doing this on purpose. I do think there's an element of PR here. There's also an element of some GMs and coaches actually really want them on the team, but the ownership interest doesn't match up and they don't have the ability or the NFL is worried about this thing or I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. I know the cap was blackballed on a level and here we are. And then cap, because he's spiteful and I get that, Spiteful's my middle name. I, I remember every slight, every perceived slight. I remember every like, it's just the way I'm wired. So I can identify with Cap not trusting the owners, not trusting the NFL, move, even moving the, the drill, so to speak. I, I don't know if I'd have called out the owners, but fuck, they took your job. It's your kind of, it's kind of your prerogative. I get it. Sometimes you want to sometimes you want to lay down the gauntlet. But here's what I fear. I fear that the NFL if the NFL was playing a game like everybody who's pro cap is alleging and I think there's something to that, then you also have to admit the cap gave them the game. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying I would have done anything different, but he gave them the game. And now I'm worried that there's enough fuel. And it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because they're not going to sign him. They gave him, he gave them the game. And now they can say, look, this guy's such a big problem. What a distraction this would be. And it's unfortunate. I mean, like, it's just unfortunate how the whole thing's gone down. It's bad for the league. And by the way, this entire thing coming out of it, I fear that Cap is not going to get signed again, which sucks. And the NFL has done nothing but piss off both sides of the argument. Which, by the way, I'm over arguing about Cap online. Whether it's to red-blooded Americans who don't want Cap to ever get a job again, or it's the people who think Cap's Joe Montana. Neither are correct, but Cap deserves a job. This argument has hit its, its expiration or boiling point for me where I'm just like, I can't anymore. And the way we tear each other apart, even within the pro Cap 
camp, if your take is slightly different, we just crush people. It's become so fucking polarizing. And I think most of us just wanna see, at least on the pro cap side, this guy succeed, this guy be back in the league. And I think it's okay to say, as long as you frame this thing correctly, this entire weekend never should have had to have, ha it never should have had to, what the fuck am I saying? It never should have happened. <laughs> the NFL caused this weekend to happen. And what's happened is that we put Cap in such a situation where he lashed out or changed, changed the venue, understandably, because we, we don't even have to get into the waiver. The waiver I, sounded like there was something baked in there that had to do with collusion. The media issue, the receivers, just give the guy what he wants. If you're the NFL and you want to look like you're doing the right thing, just give the guy what he wants. This is where I think it's a PR stunt. This is where they knew that they would piss him off, that he would go and give them the game, and that's what he did. So the whole thing sucks. And I'm done talking about the cap thing for at least the week. Now there's two teams I think legitimately, I know I just said that, but there's two teams I think legitimately could have an interesting cap in the immediacy. Of course, as of this morning, nobody's reached out, nobody's offered him. The Pats, Bill's smart enough to, uh, to take a look at this thing. Um, I don't know how it play in the fan base. I know that there's a bunch of uh, Massachusetts libs I've heard of up there. That's the rumor, there's a bunch of libs up there. But I, I don't think Bill would care about the backlash if it involved them winning a title. And I think right now, beating Greg Roman and the Ravens, it might not hurt to have a guy in, a in the building that knows exactly how Greg does things and can help them prepare for Baltimore part two. Teams bring in guys all the time for that reason, to prepare for an opponent, to give them the game on the opponent. I think also Stephen Ross in Miami, after that Trump fundraiser thing, wants to save some face, maybe, maybe he'll make a move. If I was him, it'd be a great way to bring the narrative back to all the great work he's done in communities through Rise and, uh, and prove that it was a bad misstep with holding the Trump fundraiser. Um, if he brought Cap in, I think Miami's a pretty Cap-friendly place maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. I haven't really done a study. So that's the Cap thing, and I am done. I am checking out of the Cap talk until for further notice. So I'll probably be back Friday talking about it. So into shit I saw. This weekend, we had, um, we had an old friend of mine drop a viral video that it's just teasing Pats fans. What's up, Grunk Nation? I have a big announcement to make. I can't wait to drop it on all y'all this coming Tuesday. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. It's going to be a good time. Come check out my Instagram page this Tuesday, 9 a.m. Tuesday at 9 a.m. What's it going to be? Now, my theory is that it's either, well, it really can't be too many things. It's not gonna be football. My man's not coming back. I know what a lot of Pats fans are thinking. I think he's weighing about 230 right now. Um, I think he got out a champion, a Hall of Famer. Battered and bruised, but went out on his terms. You'd hate to see him come back, get hurt, that type of thing. I don't think he's interested. I can tell you from experience now, I'm not saying that if, if somebody didn't call, I wouldn't take the call, but once you're out for a while, 
it can be it can be hard to imagine yourself going back into the carnage that is the NFL. And when you had as many injuries as Gronk, I just don't see it. I think it could be WWE. I think that pays pretty well. I think it could be, fuck, it could be CBD. Could be boner pills. Could be doing the Frank Thomas thing. Testosterone ad. Whatever, whatever it is, it's gonna be interesting. Check it out Tuesday morning. I don't know what it's gonna be. Nick Cage though. This weekend, or last week, I read this. He's about to star in a movie about himself. Somebody tweeted this. Oh, Elliot. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, Nicolas Cage to play Nicolas Cage in an upcoming meta movie. This is brilliant. I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. Um, If you get a chance, go on YouTube, look up Nicolas Cage Loses His Shit compilation. I had no idea how many times he just screamed into the camera during Wicker Man. (laughs) I have no idea because I've never seen the movie. Uh, He is a fucking legend. The guy was married and and divorced within four days in Vegas. I think that's correct. I mean, it's like his, not that I think not being good at marriage is like cool, but it's a spectacle. Uh, he bought himself like a 10-foot pyramid tomb in New Orleans that I'm assuming he will be, his remains will be, I mean, you're going to have throngs of people visiting the 10-foot pyramid grave of Nicolas Cage for millennia. Is that a word, millennia? Yeah, it is. Um, he also... Oh yeah, he also bought like a dinosaur skull in Mongolia for $270,000 that ended up being stolen. Want to buy a black market T-Rex skull? Nicolas Cage knows where. Very Nicolas Cage thing to do. Another thing he did was he bought the most haunted mansion in America, in New Orleans only to give it back to the repo man. Foreclosure. Most Nicolas Cage thing. I mean, like, everything he does is on brand. I appreciate that about him. I wish he would join me on the show sometime. Nick, if you're listening, love to, love to make you a friend of the program. I'm certainly, not, I'm certainly not downing you for all that stuff. It's very interesting. Very interesting, Nicholas. Um, so go check him out on YouTube, Losing His Shit. It's one of the best YouTube videos with the Requiem for a Dream music serenading you over him screaming for about three and a half minutes. It's solid gold. Another update I just got was that the Tua injury, somebody texted me this, the Tua injury is a lot like the Pitta injury, if you remember the tight end from the Ravens, and that makes him susceptible to further injury. Um which is not so good. I said earlier, his draft stock's probably gonna fall. We know that, but as far as the future of his playing career, the comp is not so much Bo Jackson, it seems like. The, the Pitta trajectory, so to speak, is more relevant. And the fact that he's prone to the same injury again, that could be devastating. Uh, so you hate that for Tua. And again, it's gonna be interesting to see where he falls to in the draft. So watch us again later this week. 
we'll be back. Another thing that's going to be dropping over over the weekend um, is going to be our Miles Teller Fishbowl interview. Miles is a big Philly fan. We cast um, the movie that's going to be obviously at some point coming out about two seven two thousand seventeen team. We talked about Phillies baseball. We talked about Top Gun, Tom Cruise. It's always great to talk about Tom Cruise. Very polarizing topic. Uh, but evidently he's a good guy, according to Miles. So check that interview out. Continue to listen to us on Greenlight. Um, Macon will be back. It's a lot more fun with him here. And, uh, and yeah, like, subscribe, all that stuff. I'm going to head out to San Francisco, try to raise some money for Waterboys. I'll be back. See you next time on Greenlight. Take care.